Thanks, Karen. Please keep your Bibles open and follow along as we go through our passage today. As we begin, I want to ask you just quickly for 30 seconds, if possible, to turn to the person next to you, behind you, in front of you. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of a life-changing moment? 30 seconds. Wrap it up. Okay. Let's bring it back together. Keep those conversations going afterwards. And maybe you'll change your mind or come up with something different after the service. But before we look at our passage and see what that question has to do with anything... Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now to your word, and we ask that it might change us, that it might be life-changing. And so we ask you now to speak from your word, through your spirit, to the glory of your Son, we ask. Amen. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was dark and quiet. There was a strange stillness in the air. And there was no one home. I thought it was all a dream. And so I went back to bed. But it wasn't a dream. I woke up the next morning to find that my grandma had passed through the night. My parents had rushed her to hospital. But it was too late. She was gone and my life would never be the same. I was angry with God, I was angry with the world, and that moment has defined me in so many ways that continue to this day, and I continue to learn more about how it shapes me. What I do, how I think, and why I live the way that I do. And I don't know what you've shared just now, but I wonder what life-changing moments you've had. Maybe not so dramatic, I hope not. But what are the moments, what are the circumstances in life that define you, that shape you, who you are, what you do, how you think and why you live? This Passover that we've just read from Exodus is one such moment for the Israelites. It's so significant that it's one of their three major feasts. And it was a life-changing moment. I don't know if you were listening But it's a life-changing experience, it's a life-defining moment, and its impacts continue to be felt today. And this isn't just for the Jews, but anyone who would take a moment to step into it. And so I want to invite you into this story of the Passover. 
I want you to discover the life-changing, life-defining story that it points us to. And for some of us, it will be a reminder. It will be a reminder that we have an amazing, life-changing, life-defining hope in the gospel. But before we get there, let's quickly recap where we are. We are in this part of Exodus. We've seen God and his people. They're enslaved in Egypt. They're suffering and they cry out to him. And so he calls Moses to deliver them from slavery. He tells Moses to go and confront Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let them go that they might worship him and serve a new king, God. But as we've seen, particularly in the last couple of weeks, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Even after nine devastating plagues, the impact of each getting worse and worse, he still doesn't let them go. But after the ninth plague, he drives Moses out of his court and even threatens him. Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. And so the Lord tells Moses that there will be one more plague. One final plague of Pharaoh and on Egypt. And this is it. After this, Pharaoh will let them go. And he won't just let them go. He will drive them out completely. The people will plunder the Egyptians. And if you remember, God promised in chapter 3 that they would do that. And even Moses, you read at the beginning of chapter 11, gains favor with the Egyptians and the government officials. And so this final plague would be a life-changing moment for all. Every firstborn son throughout Egypt, from the pharaoh down to the slaves, even the cattle, the livestock, would die. There would be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there had ever been or ever will be again. And so it would be a life-defining moment for Israel as they see the Lord make a distinction between them and Egypt as he spares them. And what's the result of this? Well, we saw a hint of this, didn't we, back in the plague, so that the wonders of the Lord may be multiplied in Egypt. Yahweh, the I Am, the Lord would be glorified not only among his people, the Israelites, but also throughout Egypt and through all the world. And so the stage is set. The die is cast, as they say. God, the king of heaven, versus Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and his gods. And the confrontation between these two kings comes to a head. And so that's where we're at. In 1793, as part of the French Revolution... Uh, the revolutionary government implemented a series of new changes. One of those changes was a new calendar. I don't know if you've heard about this. They tried to introduce a new calendar uh, to remove the religious and royal influences in society. Still had 12 months, but now each month was 30 days long. So every month was 30 days long. It was three weeks long. Just quickly do the maths. That's a 10-day week. Who wants a nine-day working week? Anyone? No? Ten days per week, three weeks per per month, 12 months per year. And they had to make a few adjustments for the year not being quite so even. But they even tried to change time. 
They tried to take the metric system to its fullest conclusion. 10 hours to a day, 100 minutes to an hour, 100 seconds to a minute. And they even tried to make clocks. The calendar lasted for a little while, the clocks and time didn't. But that's what we see here. For the same reason, the Lord establishes a new calendar. This is to be the first month of their year, a new beginning, a new chapter, a fresh start. This final plague, the Passover, the exodus from Egypt is the Lord's revolution against Egypt and the world. What follows is a mix of the story, but also a party plan, a celebration of remembering this event. And so preparations begin on the 10th day. And if you know Sam Kekovich, anything worth celebrating needs lamb. And so the Israelites choose lamb based on the size of their household. Smaller households would share with their neighbors. Could be a sheep or a goat. Australians choose sheep. Uh, A year-old male without defect, and they would keep it for three days. On the 14th day, they slaughter the lamb at twilight and prepare it for the feast. The blood would be taken and painted on the top and the sides of the doorframe. The lamb would be roasted. It says not raw or boiled. I don't know who would do that anyway. I don't know if you've had raw or boiled lamb. I don't imagine it's particularly nice. But anyway, the lamb is roasted. Heads, leg and offal are all to be eaten. Uh, eaten, without, uh, eaten with bitter herbs and bread without yeast. Any leftovers thrown into the fire to be burnt up. They're also told how to dress. There's a dress code for this festival. Belt done up, sandals on, staff in hand, and eaten quickly. That would be like your friend inviting you over to their house for a meal. You keep your jacket on, you keep your shoes on. This is an Asian house, by the way. You keep your shoes on, keys in your hand, and then leave the moment you're finished eating. That's what's going on here. Why? Why all of this detail? Because the Lord's about to come against Egypt in his final plague. That night, the Lord will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And he will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the doorposts are a sign. A sign for the people of the Lord's grace and mercy. Because when he sees the blood, he will pass over them and they will escape destruction. So this feast would mark the beginning of the Lord's revolution. It's Independence Day, Liberation Day, Victory Day. And this is their celebration. This is their commemoration. To remember the beginning of a new chapter, of a new people, of a new nation. This isn't just life-changing. This is world-changing stuff. Now I know people were hanging out for a public holiday if the Matildas won the World Cup. But that's not world-changing. It's not nation-changing. It would have been fun. It's got nothing on this. This is a world-changing moment. And so after they leave Egypt, it would be an annual festival, an annual public holiday, not just a one-off. It would be an annual week-long festival from the 14th to the 21st of the first month. And they will Each feature was a historical reminder, a historical reenactment, if you will. And so yeast was to be uh, disposed every year. 
Now, if you like sourdough, this is not the place to be because that's the only way that you get yeast and nice bread here. And so you might jump on Etsy and find a 100-year-old sourdough starter. Not here. You get one year and that's it. It's gone. And so you start fresh every year. But this is part of the celebration. The yeast is gone. It begins and it ends with a public assembly. Imagine Suncorp Stadium, 50,000 people filled to celebrate the goodness of God. There's no work. Great public holiday. No work except to cook food. And there is time set apart to celebrate and remember the Lord's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. First of April, 2015, last of the Anzacs, Alec Campbell died. And with his death, there was a fear that people would forget the horrors of war. They would forget their history. And see, that's the thing, isn't it? With the passing of time, there's a danger that any memorial, any ceremony would lose its memory and meaning. And so the Israelites are told to keep continuing observing this memory Even when they come to the promised land, even when they come into their inheritance, they are to continue remembering this moment. And they are to tell their children, it is the Passover, the sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israel in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And so each generation is called to pass on this memory to the next generation. And it continues up to this day. Orthodox Jews continue to celebrate this festival. They've got a whole event plan. There's like 15 steps. But there's a whole ceremony to remember what the Lord has done. And the children ask this question, what is this all about? And they continue to pass this life-changing, history-changing world-changing moment. And so now it begins. The elders are summoned. They are told to lead their families to begin preparations. Get the lambs, paint the door frames, stay inside because the Lord will soon pass over the land of Egypt. The clock strikes midnight. Every firstborn is struck down in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh down to the prisoner in jail and all the livestock. Every light was on, every candle lit, every part of the land filled with wailing because not a single house was spared. Remember what Pharaoh said to Moses after the last plague? Get out of my sight. Make sure you don't come again. The day you see my face, you will die. Well, were you listening to what happened? During the night, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron. Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. What? (laughs) Pharaoh, in this moment of utter despair, turns to Moses and says, bless me. And we laugh at that, but really, he's actually said this before. He knows he's finally lost. And this is his final request, bless me. When he had more words, he said, forgive my sin and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague, his wrath, away from me. 
He knows that he's lost and he doesn't want it to get any worse. Pray, bless me, that the Lord your God will take his wrath away from me. He's not asking for anything more than that. Just go. We're done. And the people know that too. They drive them out because they're like, if these people stay, we're dead. And so they drive them out. And that's why their belts are done up. That's why they've got their sandals on. That's why their staffs are in their hands. And that's why they eat quickly so they can just go. They didn't even get a chance to finish baking their bread. There's no yeast. The yeast hasn't even developed. They plunder the Egyptians, as they were told to do, of silver, gold, and clothing. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to round up people quickly. A family trip, getting friends together for dinner, lunch, lunch after church. Um, it's an easy thing to do, isn't it, rounding people up? Imagine rounding up these tribes, 600,000 men. That's not including women and children. And it seems like even more people, potentially other slaves from other people groups, have joined them as well. And we think getting people to church on time is hard. And just as God promised Abraham generations earlier, his descendants would be strangers and slaves in a country not their own. But at the end of this time, he would punish that country and they would come out with great possessions just as they are doing. And this is why the Passover, this moment, is a life-changing, life-defining moment. It's why it's to be remembered generation after generation to honor the Lord. Not only for passing over, but for keeping watch, keeping vigil over his people as he began this exodus, this journey out of Egypt. And as this chapter happens to be visiting that night, this is a memorial for the people who have received the blessings of this momentous event. And so there's restrictions on foreigners, temporary residents, or contract workers from outside. It's a public holiday for the community of Israel. But a foreigner who chooses to take up permanent residence, who applies for PR and chooses to identify themselves with the Lord's people, through circumcision. Aren't you glad we have visas these days? But a foreigner who chooses to identify themselves with the Lord's people through circumcision can take part. There's an open door. It's not an open house, but there is an open door. It's certainly better than Austria, where you need to live there for at least 10 years before you even apply for citizenship. So while this has restrictions, there are ways in. The Lord provides a way in. But there's one other detail, and I don't know if you picked this up. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. That's an odd detail to add in there. Like you're in a rush. Like you're already trying to roast the lamb. That's going to take how many hours to do? You're trying to eat in a rush. You're trying to get all your stuff together to get out of the country. What if you trample on a bone? What if, it's just this odd detail to include in there. I don't know if you picked that up. Do not break any of the bones. It was the day of preparation. 
and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the others. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Are you beginning to see the connections? Those of us who know the gospel, do you see the pieces coming together? This life-changing moment of the Lord's Passover finds greater, more life-changing, more life-defining fulfillment in Jesus. And whether you think he's an imaginary figure conjured up by radical Jews, or if he is truly God and nothing less than God in the flesh, no other figure has impacted history more than the person of Jesus. And so through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus brought about a revolution, a revolution offering freedom, hope, peace, and true joy. Not in worldly or martial powers, not earthly success or popularity, not material possessions or wealth, not experiential highs, not in family, relationship, or social standing, not in anything that the world might promise that might give us freedom, hope, peace, or joy. Jesus came so that we might have life and life to the full. And this is what we pass on to the next generation. And those of us who are dads here who know Jesus, this is one of our responsibilities, to pass on the life and the hope and the joy that is found in Jesus, the life-changing, the life-defining message that is Jesus. It's also the essence and the goal of our kids' ministry. We want to show them the life-changing, life-defining message of Jesus. It's not about ethics or morals, it's about Jesus. Ethics, morals and values are simply a product of a life changed by Jesus. And we pray that every kid who comes into our care will know the life-changing person who is Jesus. And so just as Jesus instructed the Israelites to keep this as a memorial. For the last 2,000 years, that's what they've done. Christians throughout history to this day continue to remember what Jesus has done for us and for our world. And so we come to the Lord's table to remember and to celebrate what Jesus did for us and all who come to him in faith. We remember the redemption that is purchased by the blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, Peter says. And by his blood and sacrifice, the Lord passes over our sin. This blood is of the new covenant, Jesus says. 
A new relationship with God and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We remember his body crucified on the cross. Our Passover lamb sacrificed for us. And so because of that, we get rid of sin. The old yeast, Paul says. We strive to rid ourselves of our sin and by his grace, become a new person in Christ. A new batch of unleavened bread. And we'll do that in a moment. We'll come around the table and we want to invite all who know and trust by faith in what Jesus has done at the table. To remember and celebrate the body sacrificed, the lamb who was slain, who takes away the sins of the world. His blood shed to cover our sins, that God's judgment might pass over us. And so in Jesus we see once again God's life-changing life-defining purposes and plans for the world, for all people, not just for the Israelites, not just for a select chosen few. And just as the Passover provided a way for people to come in, so Jesus too provides a way for all nations to come in. And so we look forward to the day when we will stand together with the great multitude with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so I want to leave you with two thoughts. Jesus and his gospel is a life-changing, life-defining message for our world. And Jesus and his gospel is a life-changing and life-defining message for you. And if we truly believe that Jesus and this gospel is life-changing and life-defining, then let's equip ourselves to better share this message with our world. How do we answer the questions they have about life, about faith, about Jesus? Well, pray. Let's pray for wisdom and understanding as we engage with them, with our family, our friends, our colleagues and co-workers. And whoever God brings across our path, Let's see how these things all connect together and answer the questions that people have. And a little while ago, someone asked me how to minister their, to their friends involved with drugs. And their friends would defend them, uh, their choices with the classic phrase, everything in moderation. But there's something lacking in that. I don't know if you hear it. Everything in moderation. There's something lacking if humanity is about the pursuit of what is best, everything in moderation doesn't work. And so whether it's an escape from something, whether the stresses of life or the search for something more, something enlightened, the gospel offers a solution to both. Gospel offers a solution to all who seek and it is found in Jesus. And that applies to us too. Whatever we're searching for is found ultimately in Jesus. And if you're not sure about that, let me again challenge you to consider that. Love to give you the time to ask those questions and explore who Jesus is. Because if he really is the life-changing, life-defining person he claims to be, I don't want anyone to miss out. 
and those of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior, let's remember. Let's remember personally and together what he's done for us. Let's keep positioning ourselves to be changed, to be defined by the gospel. And whether that's through our personal discipline, whether that's through mutual accountability, through our life groups, let's keep doing that so that we might hold on to the gospel. Let's prayerfully submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit that our hearts might be shaped to be more like Him. And as He quietly prompts and convicts us of our sin, not to shy away from Him, but to press into Him with faith and trust that He might make us more like Jesus. The Lord's Passover in Egypt was a momentous, life-changing, life-defining event for all who were impacted. But that's just one part It's just one piece in God's plan to redeem people for himself. Not just for Egypt, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And the Passover points us forward to a greater, more life-changing, more life-defining event in history. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And his blood is what covers us and cleanses us from all sin. And so my prayer is that you might simply know and grow in the freedom, the hope, the joy, and the peace, and the life that comes from Him. And that as you grow in that, you might show the world also. Let's pray. Lord God, as we hear the stories and moments of history kept for us. Help us to see what it is that you are doing then and now. And help us to see that just as you shook the world then, as you freed your people from slavery and began a journey to your promised land, Father, help us to see that it points forward to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, who is our Passover Lamb, and by His blood that we are saved. Help us to see that, help us to treasure that, and help us to share that with the world that we live in. And this we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.